Well, good morning, family. Hey, good to hear you guys. Hey, uh, how great is the worship team, huh? Leading us into worship. Let's give them a hand. Thank you, guys. Thank you for helping us worship the Lord. Um, Today is the fourth uh, week in our soundtrack series. If you've been here with us, we're in week four. So take your Bibles out, uh, open them up to the book of Psalms. Uh, If you're not a Christian or you're a new Christian, Psalms is right in the middle of the Bible. Put your thumb in the middle, open it, you're probably going to hit Psalms, okay? Um, And if you need a Bible, we have some Bibles in the back. Um, They're loners, so don't steal them. But uh, we can get that to you. We want you guys to have God's Word in your hands so you can look at it and read it with us. So we're going to be in Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is where we are going to be this morning. And uh, I'm going to read the whole Psalm, give us some context. And then uh, we're going to pray. Sound good? You guys with me? Okay. Psalm 16 of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints of the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed. I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of God. Amen. When Sports Illustrated writer Richard Deitch, I think I'm getting his name right, Richard Deitch, he saw a photo on Twitter uh, a couple of weeks ago of these brothers, and they were celebrating Yale University's National Hockey Championship. He got really inspired, inspired him. So he got on Twitter and he sent out this post to all the people that follow him. Show me a photo of your single best moment of your life. That's all he said. Within minutes, answers in the forms of photos came flooding in. Just rushing in. Their parents, we got some, yeah. So you got parents with their very first moment with their newborn. They've been waiting for nine months and he's here. And they snap that photo at that exact moment, right? There's a picture here of the, the moment of a young man who proposes to this girl he loves. And she said yes. 
And at that moment, there's a photo of that. The moment of homecoming from the dangers of war. And it went on and on, dozens and dozens, and then hundreds upon hundreds of photos streamed in to show the single best moment of your life. And all those events and experiences, they promise some form of joy to us. Right? We highly prize those moments. I mean, after all, that's what we're doing when we take a photo. Have you ever thought about that? What are we doing? Why do we do that? Why do humans do that? No other animal does that. We're trying to preserve a moment. We're trying to save it. That's what we're doing. Because we think this moment ought to be saved. It's worthy of being captured and preserved. But that's the key word right there, moment. That's the key word. Even the single best moment of our life only lasts a moment. And then it's gone, even if we take a photo of it. And there's another moment. And after that, then there's another moment that's come. The truth is, we are constantly let down by the things that we take joy in, aren't we? Have you thought about it? Let's start with something really easy. We love our new iPhone. We love our new iPhone or gadget, or whatever you have, until the next software update comes out, and then it slows down, and we don't love it so much. It doesn't do what we want as fast as we want. We used to take joy in it, now it's gone. Now it's a problem. Or how about this? We really enjoy our children until they grow up, (laughs) and then they're not little children that need us anymore. They don't even need us anymore. Isn't that weird? They're off doing their thing. We really enjoy our education until the debt has to be paid off. Anybody still paying off debts from school? A couple of brave people? All right. We enjoy our new spouse until the honeymoon period is over, and we realize, wow, they're as broken of a human as I am. What am I going to do about this now? Honeymoon's over. The joy we experience, it's gone. It's, in a way, it's been taken from us. The very thing we enjoyed, now, now not so much. It went away somehow. It went from us. So, so sometimes anxiety can creep into us, into our joy. You know, I better make sure I'm sucking every ounce of joy out of this moment. You guys are laughing because it's you, right? It's true. We've experienced that. I mean, am I getting the maximal joy out of this moment? Like this moment? H- how about now? Now am I? Am I doing, is there anything that can make this moment better? More flowers maybe? More balloons? More photos? So we get anxiety, even in the midst of joy. My sister calls this happy sad. I get happy sad. Or how about this? We protect our heart from getting disappointed by becoming a little jaded. We're not just going to be tough, we're going to be hard. There's a difference between getting tough and getting hard. Do you know what I'm talking about? So we get hard, we get jaded. We're not going to fully participate in the things that bring us joy. I mean, we're there, showed up, right? But we're not going to get too excited about celebrating that birthday. We're not going to get too excited about celebrating that holiday. We're not going to go all out. Just throw something on the tree, if we even have a tree, right? We're not going to get too deep in love 
I could enjoy that too much. We're going to keep our heart just one step away from all of that because it's a way that we protect ourselves from that disappointment, from that inevitable letdown that we know that we're going to experience. And so we do that by tamping it down. We're going to say something cynical. Yeah, well, you know, that's not going to last. Well, you know, and we get cynical. That's because that's a way of us protecting our hearts from the very thing that we find joy in. You know what I'm talking about. Here's the point. Either way, we are left wondering, is there any joy that can live up to the hype of single best moment of my life? Is it out there? Is it possible? Is there anything that we can truly enjoy without the fear that it's going to be taken from us? And so we come to Psalm 11 this morning. We see David. He's actually asking similar questions. Isn't it cool that the Bible is so relevant to our life? We don't need to make the Bible relevant. It's already relevant. This could have been written today. And it is written for us. David's asking these similar questions about what should be our greatest treasure? What should we find the most joy in? And here's what we find. When we treasure life with God more than anything, our joy can never be taken away. And some of you cynical people are going, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah. Let me say it again. When we treasure life with God more than anything, our joy can never be taken away. So I want to give us two big reasons why we can treasure life with God more than anything. Why put our hope there when we put our hope in so many other things and they've left us wanting? Two big reasons. The first is we treasure life with God because it surpasses anything else in life. It surpasses anything else in life, family. Look at verse 2. David says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Wow. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and apart from you, I have no good. David boldly declares that God is the highest good, his highest good treasure and joy for all his military power for all of his wealth for all of his fame for all the success that he's had in his life he says if it means nothing to him if god is not in it it means nothing to him if god is not in it david had all the king's horses and all the king's men right And he boldly says, God, if I don't have you, I don't have anything good in my life. And he had a lot of good things in his life. What a staggering statement. Then he basically makes a list of how life with God surpasses anything else in life. And you know what? Sometimes we need to do this. We need to sometimes make a list about God, right? We need to catalog the gloriousness of living with God. God to help us value it for the treasure it actually is. And it is a treasure, guys. We, we, I, we're not going to look at like every little detail and everything that he lists, but what I want to do is just walk through the list together, okay? He says, life with God surpasses anything that other gods can give. Verse 4. He says, The sorrow of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood 
I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Other gods promise us joy too. But they demand that we run after them. Right? He said, I will not run after them. Why? Because they're leaving him. They're going away from him. They're saying, come and get me. Come and find me. That's why he's saying, I'm not going to run after them. They demand you run after them. If you want their blessings that they offer, you've got to find them. Then you've got to chase them. Then you've got to get their attention and work for them. These are all the other gods that we could find. They don't just give their benefits. They don't just give blessings. It's not how this works for them. Have you thought about this? Money, it'll take care of you. If you work hard enough, there's the catch. There's the string. Follow the string. Power will get you what you want as long as you're willing to give up some of your principles. You can have power. You can have that title. Sure. You want that first place trophy? You want the honor that comes with being number one? You can have that. But you have to sacrifice your family on the altar to get it. Can't be home. That's the only cost. Then and only then will the God of honor pay attention to you and bless you. Then and only then will you be worthy of that blessing. See? Guys, God does the exact opposite. He does the exact opposite. 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 9, this is what God is saying. He says, now therefore, thus you, he's talking to Nathan the prophet. Thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture. I took you from the pasture. From following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all your enemies before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the names of the great ones of the earth. What a blessing. God didn't tell David, I'll make you king as soon as you finish my list of things to do to prove your worth to me, to prove that you're worthy of this great name, to bring to prove that you're worthy of these blessings. Now, go hike up Mount Sinai after going on a three-day water fast. And then when you get to the top of that, I want you to build an altar that you've chiseled by hand out of stone for me. Oh, and by the way, on your way home, defeat a hundred Philistines by yourself. Go. No. That's not what God said. That's not what he said. God said, I picked you up from the field of dirty sheep. And I will do what is needed to make you king. And I did do that. The Lord chose David and blessed David, not because he was deserving, but because God is gracious. Are you with me? He's gracious God. Listen, all the other gods demand that we run after them and work for them to get their blessing. Our God runs after us and he blesses us with good things. Our God alone gives us what we haven't earned. That is why we treasure him above all treasures. 
we've got more to go. <laughs> Life with God surpasses the finest food and drink and plots of land that we could get. Verses 5 and 6 says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So I want you to picture this. David's trying to get us to put pictures in front of our face, in front of the eyes of our heart. So picture this, okay? In fact, why don't you just close your eyes, all right? Just close your eyes. Nothing bad's going to happen, okay? Just close your eyes for a second, okay? Just picture it so, so you can think about this, all right? Why don't you just picture this huge, elaborate feast, just picture this feast. It's on this huge, solid oak table, and it's spread out before us. All right? Just imagine. It. There's, there's choice meats. This is not Oscar Mayer deli cold cuts, okay? This is choice meats. Think Thanksgiving, all right? Fresh steamed vegetables, exotic fruits, expensive aged wines prepared by the best chefs in Seattle. And it's all right there. Top chefs. It's all there. And you almost smell the mouth-watering aromas. You know, the flavors your taste buds are enjoying, they're so rich. It's like you've never had food before. Just, I want you to imagine just leaning back in your chair as you wipe your mouth with a linen napkin because you're wonderfully full. You're satisfied after enjoying such a rich Living with God satisfies us more deeply than that. You can open your eyes. Living with God satisfies us more deeply than that. Here's another picture. Imagine getting a large portion of family land as an inheritance. Someone you're related to, they're very wealthy, they've died, and you are in their will. You've got this family plot of land, and it's fertile land. No rocks, all soil. It's fertile land. It's well watered, and it grows all these amazing crops in it. And you have the best view of the region, okay? Oceans, mountains from every angle. Imagine walking the property with the lawyer. You're walking this property. Are you picturing this? Are you hearing the grass crunching under your feet? You're walking the property with the lawyer, right? You keep walking, and you're walking, and you're walking, and hours are going by, and you're still walking. You go, hey, how much farther are we going to go? And he says it'll take you the rest of the day to hit the first boundary marker. And then it starts to dawn on you, you've inherited a fortune. You've inherited the Ponderosa. Right? Living with God is more wonderful of an inheritance than that. Than anyone could leave you or me. Living with God is better than the advice of the wisest man. Verse 7 says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. David was the king of Israel, and the Bible records that he had many advisors, right? And, and a lot of them were very good advisors. They're very wise, knowledgeable advisors. So just imagine making huge decisions, 
that would have very significant consequences. They're going to have very significant impact in the people that are under you and near you, working with you. And there was always someone nearby to tell you the right decision to make. There's like huge executive decisions, and you've got someone right here, they're t- this is the way to go. This is the right decision, and just imagine that. Someone was always on call. Someone was always awake to help you make the right decision. Imagine that regardless of the decision you had to make, you had immediate access to someone who was an expert in that particular field. Imagine that. You think you'd be a confident leader? Absolutely, you'd be a confident leader. This is the right decision. When we live life with God, we have something better than a hundred expert advisors with us. God himself, David says, counsels us through his word and through his spirit. God himself counsels us. Living with God is a treasure that is better than a personal security guard walking beside you. Verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. The metaphor of the right hand is used a lot and it's rich with symbolism. So it doesn't just mean one thing. It means a lot of different things. But in a military context, uh, to have someone at your right hand would be having a soldier that was right there to protect you. This isn't like just an army that's off somewhere that you have to dispatch help. This is a personal security guard. The sword is at the right hand. So they are at your right hand. They're going to step right between you and the the spear, right? You and the bullet. They're nearby. They're protection that is nearby. You see them. You can hear them breathing. Imagine having a sidearm under your pillow and a secret service guard outside your door every night when you sleep. You think you could sleep at night? You could probably sleep at night. If you like guns, you could probably sleep at night, right? (laughs) Uh, A few years ago, Vanessa took her grandfather to Israel for a few weeks. And um, I had the kids at home with me, and she was in Israel with her grandfather. And that's a bedtime story for another day. But uh, it was a good trip for her. She loved it, and for us. And she called home to to check in one night. And we we were talking, and I said, hey, just want to know. You doing all right? I mean, do you feel safe? You feel safe there? And this is how she replied. There are bomb shelters on every street. They're equipped with nuclear filtration systems, stocked with fresh food and water. There are friendly drones patrolling overhead, and we are accompanied by an IDF soldier wherever we go. I couldn't feel safer than I do right now. So I felt pretty good about that. <laughs> that helped me sleep at night. David says, God makes him feel safer than that. So for eight long verses, David extols the gloriousness of God. He takes God's glory and he just turns it one more time. It's like a diamond, right? With all these cuts on it. He just turns it and just turns it. He just rolls it out for us. He goes over and over different ways with different metaphors, right? He's extolling the glory of God layer after layer of glory, layer after layer of beauty of God. And he does this because he wants our hearts to treasure God like he treasures God. That's why he's doing this. 
He wants our heart to treasure God above all things just like he does. And we need to see the expansiveness, the wideness, the epic scope of the glory of God if we are going to treasure him above all things. There isn't one area of our life that is not touched by the beauty and cannot enjoy the gloriousness of God. Touches all levels of our life, guys. So maybe this might help. Think about God like a babushka doll. You know what that is, right? Little wooden doll, Russian doll. You open it, oh, there's another doll, right? Oh, you open it, there's another doll. You're like, there can't be any more dolls in there. There's another doll in there. These bright colored, very intricate details. So just think about God like, like this babushka doll. Just when you think you've seen all that there is to see of God. Just when you think you've beheld all the glory that you can behold of God, <laughs> there's more. Just when you think you got to the back end wall, okay, yeah, I've seen all that God is and all that he can do, there's more. Just opens up, there's more. There's more. And it keeps coming. Except for instead of God getting smaller and smaller with each level of glory you behold, he gets bigger and bigger. There's more and more reasons to glorify him, to enjoy him forever. So how do we do this? There's many ways that we can, things that we can do in many ways to help our hearts treasure God above all things, okay? Just name a few of them off. Pretty practical. One way is just simply by singing songs with one another. Singing, I said with one another. That's important. Singing songs with one another helps us treasure God above all the lesser treasures in this life. Guys, I want to encourage you, when we gather together on Sunday, sing with all your might. If you are weak and all you can manage with your strength is a whisper, then whisper. But I want to encourage you to sing with all your might because it helps your heart treasure God. God doesn't need to hear you praise Him. You need to hear you praise Him. That's bad grammar, but that's good theology, isn't it? (laughs) You need to hear you praise God. How glorious is God? How gorgeous is God? How he is my provider. Guess who else needs to hear? Your brothers and sisters in this room need to hear you extolling God and glorifying God. And the non-believers that are in this room need to hear you praising God and glorifying God so that their hearts might treasure God above all things like you do. Worship matters. Singing matters. David was a man's man and he wrote songs. And sang with his harp, right? Here's another way. We lift our prayers to, the, to God's ears on behalf of one another. When we pray, it shapes our heart. It helps our heart treasure God above all things. Instead of just talking about the weather, or just talking about sports or any of this other stuff, talk to God. About God. <laughs> Pray for one another. Hey, it's great. We had this conversation. This is great. Could we pray? You know what happens when we pray? We are immediately in the presence of God in a way that we are not. Another way. We're two or more gathered in my name. I am there with you in the midst, Jesus says. When we pray for one another, it helps our heart treasure God above all things. It really does. 
We read scripture. We recite scripture out loud together. We give our offering together. We confess sin to one another. We're doing all these things together because it helps shape our hearts. There's always that we remind our hearts that life with God satisfies us in every possible way. He is the treasure that is sweeping in scope. He's not a little small treasure. He's an epic treasure. It affects every aspect of our life. These are all different ways to keep tapping that nail one more time on the head of the nail in our heart. Amen? Second big reason. We treasure God. We treasure life with God because it never ends. It never ends. Verse 10 and 11. I'll be honest with you guys. These two verses gave me the biggest trouble. I worked real hard this week because of these two verses. I was sweating. <laughs> For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. That's the, that's the grave. That's the place of the dead, right? Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The right hand is also a place of honor and prestige and blessing. So no matter how wonderful life with God is, and that's what we just went through. This is how wonderful life with God is. Eight verses of that. But no matter how wonderful life with God is, it will never be our highest treasure if... Death can take it from us, right? This is just logic. It just makes sense. And the fact is, death eventually takes every treasure from us. It just goes around and just touches things. Whatever it touches, boop, gone, 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 gone. Decay, dead. Everything it touches. And David knows this about death. And this comes up a lot of the Psalms and the wisdom literature, like Ecclesiastes and Job. And so we're going to hit this more uh, in our series. But David knows this fact about death, and he knows he's going to die. Why? Because God has explicitly told him through the prophet Nathan, how would you love God to tell you, you will die, you will lay down with your fathers? Whoa, okay. <laughs> Try to get through your punch list for the day after that happens, you know? So, he knows that. Now, how can David declare in verse 10 that God will not abandon his soul to Sheol? If he knows this. How can he be confident that death is not the final chapter in his life? Answer. Because he is remembering a promise. He is remembering the promise that God told him of a Messiah that is coming. In 2 Samuel chapter 7. He's remembering a promise of God. God promised to raise up an offspring after David, and God would establish his kingdom eternally. Once this king gets on the throne, he doesn't get off the throne. He doesn't get replaced. So yes, there is Solomon. Yes, there's other, Dave, other kings that come, but they have to keep getting replaced. Why? Because they'll die. Death touches them. So they have to keep getting replenished. But God makes a promise. There's coming one that is coming that, that will sit on that throne forever. All the kings in the line of David will die. And so that's why there's that succession. But God tells them there's a king that's going to come to the throne. And his rule, God will establish. He won't establish. God will establish his rule forever. His kingdom will be without end. So David is placing his faith in this coming king. 
or anointed one, if you like, or Messiah, if you like. The Holy One. Holy One of God. He's placing his faith in this Messiah that will never die and therefore will have a kingdom that will never end. His kingdom won't end because he won't die. Peter confirms this in his sermon at Pentecost. Acts 2, verse 27. Peter says this, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter is quoting Psalm 16. He's quoting the Greek translation of it, the Greek version, the Septuagint, but he's quoting Psalm 16 here to all these people that are gathered. And so then he says this, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. Oh, and by the way, his tomb is still with us today. It's right here. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. He's talking about Jesus. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Isn't that beautiful? Because the Messiah that David is trusting in will not be abandoned to the grave by God, David can be confident that he will not be abandoned to the grave by God. He might not understand who this is. He might understand what time this is going to happen, but he knows it's going to happen. He believes by faith that God will keep his promise and he's going to take him at his word. It's by faith. Through this Messiah, David's greatest treasure, living with God, is death proof. He knows this and he trusts him. And this same promise is for us. A little later in that very same sermon in Pentecost, this is what Peter says. Acts 2, 39. For the promise is for you and your children. Check this out. And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This promise isn't just for David, and it isn't just for Israel and the Jews. It's for the Gentiles too. It is for all who have put their hope and faith in Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. How do we know that God is not going to abandon us when we die? I'm not David. Ah, but I have his promise. That's how we know. Because Christ was not abandoned forever by God. When Christ died, that's how we know. How do we know that our bodies will not be left to decay in the ground? Because God did not leave Christ's body to decay in the ground. And I'm having faith in that body. I'm having faith in that person. That's how I know. In a beautiful twist of irony, family, I want you to hear this. Death has been defeated by death. Death is beaten at its own game. Death got got. You know what I'm saying? Death got got by its own game and its own rules. This is gorgeous. This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ went down into Sheol. He went down into 
not just the pit, he went into death. And he took all the destructive power out of it by rising from the dead. For those that have faith in him, who've put their trust in him. Death can no longer separate us from the greatest treasure of our life anymore. Life with God, that's the greatest treasure. Can't separate us from that now anymore. It can only enhance our life with God. By ushering us into his very presence. Which, by the way, is where there is fullness of joy and at his right hand pleasures forevermore. This is beautiful irony. It it, it not only can't keep us from that treasure, it can only help us get to that treasure fully. You guys don't look as excited as I am. (laughs) My gosh, you should be smiling. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what we go tell people. This is what we are sharing with people, right? And this is what we are believing. Because of Jesus, because of the hard work he did. We don't do hard work for our God. Our God did hard work for us, amen? It is hard to live a obedient life perfect with God. It is hard to die with nails in your hand and be stripped naked in front of your mom. It is hard, Right? It is hard to rise from the dead. Because of the hard work of Jesus Christ, we can rejoice because our greatest treasure can never, will never be taken away from us. This is why we treasure him above all treasures. There are actual reasons. These are the reasons. The greatest treasure we could ever get is to live with God forever. And so life with God forever is made ours the same way it was made David's, by faith. But not faith in faith. Faith in an object. Oh, faith in that Holy One. Faith in that Messiah. <laughs> he isn't coming. He has come. David, look forward. We look back. And peek forward. Faith in Christ has done everything necessary to secure your joy. I want to say that again. Faith in Christ has done everything to lock down, secure your joy. He has made certain that your joy in God, it's not a mirage you're walking towards. It's not the world's greatest disappointment just waiting to happen. It's not. When we make Christ the single best moment of our life, our joy in him can never be taken away. I want you guys just to think. Just think over just the last week, just the last seven days, okay? Think over your week. Think about what you were treasuring this week. Little things, big things, just think about what you were treasuring. Just be honest, right? Here's how maybe you can, this might help out, how you can know. What were you talking the most about this week? It's not the whole answer, but it's a good diagnostic question. What were you talking about the most this week? Hey, what were you talking about with the most volume? No, 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 listen to this. This is important. What were you talking about with the most volume? Look at what you collected this week and what you collect. Look at maybe what were you defending this week? Don't you touch that. Don't you tell me that's not valuable. What were you defending? That will show you what your true treasure is, right? 
One of mine has been, it's a simple one for me, it's just books. I love books. My books have been in boxes. I'm just going to be honest, right? Leaders go first, right? So I got these books. I love them, and they help me do my job, and I just enjoy them. And now they're out of jail. They're out of boxes in my garage, and they've been freed. And all my little babies are lined up in the, in the bookshelf that I put together, right? And I can look at them, and I can read them and stuff, and God's like, yeah, you, you love them? A little bit. I deal with it too, guys. Take a look at what your treasure's been. Take a look at some of those questions, and that'll help you see what you don't want to see. God is calling you and I to take those things down a notch. Take them down a notch. They're good and they're not great. God is great. He's calling you and I to take those things down a notch and treasure Christ above all things. Your joy depends on it. My joy depends on it. Amen? All right. I love you guys. That's all I got. I'm going to pray, okay? Pray with me, please.